Barack, thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to be able to share my little journey with FUD and hopefully uh, help some entrepreneurs and folks that are out there um, with whatever I can share. I'm more than happy to, to get involved here. So Arthur, thanks for joining me today. To start, can you share what inspired to start FUD? Sure. So uh, during COVID, I had a really hard time buying a pair of Jordan 1s. So I went down this rabbit hole of what was going on with sneakers where you just can't go into a store and buy them anymore. And I went down this crazy rabbit hole and figured out, oh my gosh, there were kids that were hoarding sneakers and reselling sneakers. So I went down this path and figured out, oh my goodness, there's people now that are doing things on platforms like a StockX, like a Goad, and uh, really just being really creative and smart about how they can find ways to make money. So because I'm a very frugal individual, I was not going to pay these resale prices. So I had to go figure out how can I get sneakers for, for retail, right? And anyways, long story short, a complete newbie like me was able to sell $10,000 in sneakers and just kind of had fun with it, right? And it reawakened this um, youth in me because as a younger person, I was definitely a hustler. I was definitely out there making money, doing all sorts of weird things. I bought my first car using my baseball car collection. So it kind of lit a fire in me. And then I ran into a situation where one of my pairs of sneakers, I tried to sell them on eBay. And I had no idea that in eBay, one of the problems was buyer fraud. So it's not seller fraud you're worried about. You're worried about a buyer saying, hey, you didn't send me the real pair of sneakers. You sent me an empty box. So I got really nervous because I almost got scammed. And then it reminded me of like, wow, if I was 16 or 17 and I lost $500 because of a fraudulent transaction, that would be awful, right? That would be something where it may lead a bad taste in my mouth and may not make me want to become a hustler anymore. And to me, that's a... a, a disservice to all the entrepreneurs out there, right? So I started to go out there and even when I was researching, well, how do you learn about these various so-called side hustles, right? You'll go on the TikToks and YouTubes, but a lot of places don't have those details, right? They just kind of leave it at the, the Lamborghini and the money flying on the computer. But hey, who's out there telling people, how do you really do these things? So it kind of just reminded me of like, I want to go out there and help these future entrepreneurs, even though something is easier sneaker reselling, right? But let's hey, look, let them avoid those mistakes because most of the platforms are designed out there to be a little bit too entertainment driven. So it just kind of made me nervous that I didn't want that next generation to have a bad taste in their mouth because, you know, I'm a byproduct of the American dream. I very much believe in getting out there and doing it. So if I can just help one kid become more successful, help them avoid those pitfalls, that's a win for me. So that was the reason I got into it. Just a, a guy that didn't want to pay resale to buy a pair of Jordan 1s and went down this crazy rabbit hole. So I understand that this is a common problem for most of the probably content creators. So how would you describe the culture at FUD? What pro important to you in building these kinds of culture and community? Great question. So one of the things I'm a big believer in is, excuse me here, is celebrating the craft, right? Giving people props for doing maybe work that isn't so exciting. You know, most of what you see in IG and TikTok and YouTube, it's celebrating like the top 0.001%. Right? It's always like the guy that's making a million dollars, the next you know big time YouTuber, or the guy that's selling you know nine figures and this and that. But I want to go help again, everyday folks, right? Average Janes and average Joes for 30, 40, 50 dollars an hour matters, right? And I want to give props for someone that's excuse me here, uh that's perfected a craft. Like, hey, I'm awesome at doing gig work. I'm a great freelance writer, I'm just amazing at uh Let's say uh, I'm great at reselling and thrifting, right? I've got my own little e-commerce store. So I want to build a culture where let's celebrate the everyday entrepreneur, right? Let's celebrate and give props to people that are not looking to go into YC, 
not trying to go to some fancy business school, right? Just the everyday person that's out there. And there's a lot of them, right? As I started to dive in, a ton of people need help and they can't all afford to go and join, um, get a business advisor, right? Have a, a fancy program to support them. So the culture for me is one is let's celebrate every craft. Let's give props to someone for doing something amazing. And amazing doesn't have to be a nine-figure business, right? It could be, I'm the best freelance writer. I'm amazing at social media management. I'm awesome at reselling. You know, and some of them may get lucky and launch a really big business. Fantastic, right? But let's help, again, the average James and average Joes, and let's celebrate that and give props to people for doing great, what you would call normal work. So what types of side hustles are most popular on the platform right now? Any surprises there? Oh, <laughs> Um, there hasn't been too many surprises, but what's been surprising is how much mastery goes into these things, right? For someone to be great at gig work, for someone to be great at short-term rentals, for someone to be amazing at freelancing, that requires mastery, right? It requires dedication. It requires passion. So one of the things that I think we all need to be aware of is, again, mastering anything is very hard, right? Let's not trivialize anything. So for example, we have an amazing gig worker, and I was talking to this person, uh, he was an early FUD expert for us. And he would share like, hey, here are all the things I learned about uh, ride sharing. Here are all the things I learned about food delivery. And there's a lot of little details there, right? And then he eventually realized, hey, I'm not just a ride sharing or food delivery person. I'm a city host. So let me launch a business on top of that. So he got into the short-term rentals game, right? Now he owns a few cars, a few houses, and he's able to really plus up that hustle. And then he realized that, hey, because I'm now really a city host, when someone's in my car, that's a lead for me, right? That's an opportunity for me to upsell them and give them a business card. So I started really going back and just, it was such an inspiring thing, right? To see, you know, sometimes we'll just trivialize, oh, that person is just doing gig work. No, 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 no. Some of the real hardcore ones have figured out a business around that. And that to me is just incredibly amazing to see. So um, that's been one of the surprises again, is just a respect for the mastery that goes into these things that are just kind of everyday mundane tasks, right? But in terms of popular hustles, we've got folks in there doing freelancing, right? A lot of people are trying to become independent workers. They want to become a digital nomad. So how do I take my marketing know-how, my video know-how, my writing know-how and apply it to many businesses, right? How can I go fractional? So that's been very exciting to see. More and more people are betting on themselves and some of them become, uh, they might launch a little agency, right? As they grow their freelancing business. We've seen a lot of folks that want to become content creators. It's like, you know, a lot of folks want to become a YouTuber, a TikToker, but it also includes things like self-publishing, right? You can easily write a book nowadays. It includes things like launching your own podcast. Um, there's a lot of different ways to create content, right? It could be a blogger. So there's a lot of different ways beyond just your YouTube and TikTok, but there's certainly that's also a very popular one. Oh, uh, one on top of that that's been really hot recently is live commerce. So folks now want to get out there and do live, right? Live shopping, live commerce. So that's been fun to see a lot of our creators are leaning into that world. And the third, I would say that's quite popular is um, kind of reselling and thrifting. So folks in there upcycling, uh, kind of arts and crafts, you know, that world uh, is very exciting as well. So I would say those are the three, kind of the freelancing bucket, content creation bucket, and then reselling and thrifting. Uh, but by the way, there's many more out there. We just can't be all things to all people now. So we have to be a little more focused, but my hope is to support all non-traditional ways to make money, right? There's just a ton more out there, but we're gonna we're seeing a little bit more traction there, but part of that's because we're focused on it. So our, what is the monetization model for FADDA? I mean, how does the platform generate revenue? So for us, the key is we want to make sure we align all of our interests. So for us, the North Star's always been helping someone make money, right? Helping someone take action. 
So I want to make sure I design a business model that's oriented around that. So you have to be a little careful there. What we don't want to do is become another source of distraction, right? We don't want to become too heavily entertainment. So you got to make sure we architect something that aligns everyone's interests so that uh, we are a mini-sided market. We've got users that come in that want to learn or plus up a hustle. We try to match them with the expert or mentor, someone that has the know-how that wants to share, right? And then we also bring in the tools that someone may need. So we bring all these together. But again, that North Star is, are we helping someone take action and therefore making more money? So the business model has to be aligned in the same way. So we have things like, for, we just recently rolled out our membership program. So a user that comes through can become a member to a FUD expert and mentor. So they can pay a small monthly fee to get access to content, to get access to a private community and to get access to, and this is one thing I'm very excited about, to mentorship, right? To make sure someone helps them get started. So one is membership. That's the thing that we just rolled out a few weeks ago. We're still in the process of kind of fully deploying it, but that is live. We also have things like, um, you can buy step-by-step -step guides. So some of our experts are making premium guides that they can sell. So that's much more of a transactional game. Uh, we then have uh, uh, affiliate offers in place with our marketing partners. So I mentioned we're a mini-sided market. So I'll give you an example. Let's say you come through and you're a reseller. Well, we've got a lot of tools in there that say, hey, if you're a reseller, you need XYZ to manage your newsletter, XYZ to manage your store, XYZ to manage your site. So as you're going through the experience, we will also recommend these tools, these marketing partners, so if you sign up for them, we get an affiliate fee for that. Now, that's a great one because that money comes from these advertisers, right? And we're actually very excited about that because I know there's a ton of AI tools that are going to need distribution soon. So we want to get ahead of that as well. So we're going to definitely capitalize on all that distribution budget that's going to be there. And the third, uh, the fourth thing we have is digital gifts. So as you're watching someone go live, you can buy them a virtual cup of coffee, send them a digital slice of pizza, right? But the, it's always designed towards, hey, let's make sure our experts are able to share their know-how and then get monetization from sharing that knowledge and helping someone get started. So hopefully we align all around making sure folks are taking action. That's the key for us. Um, some of the stuff we're dabbling in, you know, we are trying to monetize our newsletter. We are doing some more media kind of businesses um, just to support, um, you know, nothing wrong taking some revenue as well right now, right? We've got users, we've got a newsletter. So why not try to monetize that as well? But the main focus is those four things I described. So how are you integrated things like AI into the product experience. How do you see the technology shaping FUD? So right now we definitely want to get better uh, using machine learning and AI from a recommendation perspective. So at a minimum, I would love to get to know, Barack, you come through, you probably have a different experience. You may vibe with a different expert and mentor than me. So there's going to be at a minimum a, a, a good recommendation engine or a good recommender, a matching uh, component to this. Now that takes scale. So that's something that as we grow, we definitely want to make sure we have the proper machine learning in place to do that. So that's kind of the basics on the kind of Rico side, right? The recommender side. Now, in addition, I mentioned mentorship a bit, right? So one of my things is I want to make sure we can do mentorship at scale and make mentorship affordable. Well, what does that mean? That means we have to help our experts be able to manage many, many mentees, right? It could be hundreds of mentees. So that's where I got to think about, can I use AI to help my mentors, my FUD experts, scale up their membership programs, right? Can we use AI in a smart way where maybe we're creating personalized to-do lists at scale, right? Where we're using AI to help our FUD experts manage their communities at scale, right? That's where I also want to invest in the AI side is to make sure our FUD experts can scale the membership program, which then makes it more affordable for all of these everyday entrepreneurs, all these users to receive a very cost-effective mentorship product, if that makes sense. So there's two avenues there. Recommender matching. Second is how do we scale up 
our flood experts and making sure we can provide mentorship at a very affordable yet but yet effective way. So who else is playing in this space? How do you think about the competition? Oh, well, there are folks out there. You're, the obvious guys are what I would just call the entertainment, the very horizontal platforms, right? These are the TikToks, the YouTubes of the world. So that's one bucket. Then you can go the other extreme with these mentorship services, right? I'm referring to people like the YPOs, the Vistages of the world. Uh, and then you've got some new online versions of that, right? Like Chief and Hampton are kind of out there now. Like they're the digital equivalent of YPO and Vistage. So those are kind of the two extremes. And of course, you've got in the middle, you've got folks like Skillshare and Udemy, some of the course providers. So those are the three that I look at, right? Uh, but I think all of them have their shortcomings. Uh, but those are the three, again, entertainment, horizontal platforms. Great job. I kind of, I love it, by the way, because they're building a ton of awareness. I mean, there's so much, uh, uh, maybe this is a little crude, but there's so much money pouring out there, right? That they're doing a great job of kind of building that awareness, but they don't really deliver on that next step. Now, this digital YPO, fantastic. They offer peer-to-peer -peer learning, right? Great stuff, but it's very expensive. Your average Jane's and average is never going to be able to afford it. Uh, then you've got the Udemy's and Skillshare's, right? They do an okay job, but I think we all know online course completion rates are awful, and there's no guarantees that someone can get started. So I'm looking at all these things and hopefully building something much better. What international markets excites you? I mean, what are the plans for expanding FUD globally? Oh, I love it. Right now, we already see uh, the majority of our users are coming from the U.S., but we do see people coming in internationally. We have some folks from Turkey just kind of stop by, by the way. We've got folks from uh, Southeast Asia coming through. I've seen uh, Indonesia. I've seen the Philippines. I've seen uh, Pakistan. I've seen India. I've seen parts of Africa. I've seen South America. So they're coming through because hustling is a global phenomenon, right? Um, it's a global movement. And I'm actually very excited about the international markets because I, going back to these AI tools, I think a lot of the folks there are incredibly talented. If we just gave them a little sales and marketing help, they will be able to get so much more success in terms of winning jobs and winning more of these freelancing opportunities, right? Because I've seen some of them, they've got the know-how, but they just need a little bit of a kind of cleaning up in terms of like how to pitch people, right? Also, what's exciting too is nowadays you can get so much distribution. So the other thing I'm excited about is you, we bring an international perspective, but they can learn from different crafts and disciplines. So as a freelancer coming in, you can learn from a content creator, right? Because nowadays you got to get out on LinkedIn. You got to figure out how to tell your story. You got to figure out how to pitch yourself. So I get excited about, we learn from different parts of the world. So someone blowing up in Turkey, I can learn from them. Or even in the US, I can learn from someone. I'm in Los Angeles and you know, learn from someone in Miami, right? But now you can also learn from different disciplines. So, oh yeah, I'm a freelancer, but you know what? I actually do need to learn about TikTok or I need to learn about how to go live because nowadays I got to go develop my own brand, right? So anyways, I get very excited about that. So we have every ambition of being global, uh, but we are a small but mighty team that, um, you know, we're, we're not quite able to service those markets yet but I do anticipate doing it because again, it is a global phenomenon. I think um, uh, when I nerd out and I talk about, yes, I kind of call it a side hustle and this and that, but really what we are is we're a future of work play for the everyday entrepreneur, right? So as you think about companies unbundling, all the, the job itself is unbundling from a company, right? And all these tools that are out there, I have to imagine 50%, 75% of us gonna be working for ourselves, but you know what we're not gonna have? we're not going to have a boss and a manager anymore, right? And a boss and a manager adds value. So that's really what I provide. But I don't want to, you know, that's really what I do. But yes, I call side hustling. Yes, we got to keep it fun, of course. But really what I want to become is that layer for all those entrepreneurs that are coming, right? That's what gets me excited.
What have been the biggest challenges or lessons learned for you personally as a founder of FUD? I mean, some of these are just kind of the stuff you guys have already heard. I mean, my goodness, it takes twice as long, twice as much money. Uh, it's it's hard. So uh, you just have to make sure you really believe in the idea. You know, that founder market fit thing does matter. There's going to be days where you're just like, dude, this is brutal. It's so hard, but it has to be something that you really deeply believe in, right? You deeply want to get going. So um, it's just one of these things. Make sure you have the wherewithal. Make sure you've got support there. It's a very lonely journey too. So it's just one of these things where just knuckle up. It's going to take you twice as long and you're going to have to like <laughs> by hook or crook, make it happen. <laughs> so if you write um, yourself, a younger of yourself, uh, an email, three things before starting the FUD, what would it be? So I would say one of the things I did, because my last few uh, entrepreneurial endeavors were a little bit more with more established kind of players. And I got really into the operational side and really got in there. My, my last startup was a company called Super Deluxe. So we're well capitalized. We're part of, uh, we were part of Warner Media and Turner, so bigger enterprises. But what I didn't do a good job of there was maintaining my kind of early stage network. You know, like one recommendation for all of you guys thinking about starting something is make sure you got that early stage network built out. Um, I prior to that, my my last startup, Simply Finance, was about ten years ago. So the world changes, of course. All the investors out there change. The, you know, the whole. I remember when I first started raising again. I'm like, wow, seed round is five million dollars now. A Series A is like twenty million. I'm like, what's going on in this world? So, anyway, I encourage all of you guys to just keep a pulse on that. If you know you're going to become an entrepreneur, you know you're going to get back out there. Assuming you want to raise money, just stay involved with that world, that ecosystem. You know, that pre-seed seed world. So. Uh, a little bit of me was maybe a little bit, I just thought, oh, hey, uh, my ego, right? Oh, I should be able to raise off of my, my background, blah, blah, blah. But you got to maintain those networks. So yes, one tip for you is if you're going to raise or you're going to have a venture kind of idea, start developing those networks, start developing those relationships. For a good couple of years, I was just so focused on building super deluxe that I just kind of lost track. So I encourage all of you guys to just um, don't do that. <laughs> I had to go back out there. It was hard. It's not easy. To, and I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm still building it. It's not easy. So entrepreneurship is ups, ups and downs like a roller coaster. And you have the experience for a long time and probably talk many investors. How do you overcome the rejections? It's hard. It's hard. But I think you got to go back to again. Um, there's also this, sometimes you have to just, what's that other thing too? Everyone loves your idea and they need to be a bad idea too. So you can always find that silver lining where, or maybe it's just an awful idea. I don't know. But um I think it just comes back to like, do you really, is this really something you want to do? Is this really in you? So make sure you go deep and ask yourself that because again, it's going to take you twice as long. It's going to be twice as hard as you thought. So you just got to make sure it's something you really want to do. I mean, I'm two years into this thing, you know, no salary for two years, right? I really believe in this thing. So I got to make it happen. So I just encourage all of you guys to just, um, you're going to get the rejections. It's going to hurt your ego a bit. Um, so find those people you trust too. make sure it's lonely. It's a lonely experience too. So you got to kind of fight through it and just try your best. It's a, it's a bit of a numbers game too. So you got to realize that, look at the stats that are out there. Um, you know, and just be realistic about it. You guys just keep on going. I don't know what else to say. It's got to kind of be a little bit, a little bit crazy, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. You got to be a little insane. <laughs> You you have lots of investors meetings. How do you profile the investors in different uh, profiles? Uh, because 
some investors are supportive, some are, I mean, probably harsh, or do you have any profiles in your uh, agenda? Well, I, I try to find folks, well, there's two different buckets too. If I'm going after angel investors versus traditional VCs, uh, there's a difference there. So with the angel side of things, you know, I try to find people where the story is going to resonate with them, right? So find people that are, in my case, you know, self-made entrepreneurs, people that understand what it means to have a side hustle, right? I'll be honest, some folks may not really understand that because they may not have came from that world, right? They don't necessarily appreciate 30 or $40 an hour. They may not understand like, oh, there's people out there that that gets them excited. Yeah, there are, you know, there's a, so you got to find that, that folks that get it. Um, I'm not sure I'm a big believer in like, selling someone i think either they kind of get it and they want to get involved and they believe in you but if you have to convince someone there may not be the right investor like they just kind of vibe with it right so again it goes back to like finding people that maybe already have a thesis in in my case maybe future of work or marketplaces you know they understand what i'm doing so there's some level of just um make sure you're filtering too and targeting people that you think will really appreciate it so on the angel side find folks that are going to vibe with the story maybe they're in the the future of workspace, maybe they're in the job space, they understand that world. On the venture side, find people that understand what you're trying to do. Um, I just find it very hard to convince people. Uh, and all the all my friends that are raised too, I don't think they've ever convinced anyone is what they tell me. It's usually just either someone gets it or they don't. And then of course you want to keep them up to date and show that you're getting traction and all that stuff. But it goes back, back down to like targeting. You know, I'm a marketer by the way. So I think targeting does help. So just make sure you target people that will get your story. And if they don't get it, it's fine. Move on. You know, you don't, you're not going to convince anyone is what I've heard. And kind of what I've learned, to be honest with you. So what do you think about the life and work balance? Uh, you know, I'm an, I've always been bad at that, to be honest with you. I just feel like, um, I feel like if you're lucky enough to find what you enjoy, you know, of course you want to have balance. I have two little kids. So I got to be careful. I have a partner. So I got to be careful. I don't um, neglect those things. But the rest of it, if I'm into what I'm doing, then it doesn't feel like work. Uh, again, I don't want to be too kind of corny and cheesy, but there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, recently, I was actually thinking about this a little bit too. Like you look at, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, who, who was, uh, sorry, Warren Buffett's right hand, uh, Charlie Munger recently passed yes. away, right? And it was unfortunate, obviously terrible, but what was kind of interesting about that was the man was 99 years old, still doing his thing, right? And I think that's amazing. If you can find something you like, where well, you'll do it until you're 99. And there's probably some correlation. He probably lived that long because he enjoyed what he did as well, right? So I was thinking to myself, man, if I can just find something like that, where a lot of times the American dream is like, oh, I got to retire by the time I'm 50 or whatever. It's like, what are you going to do when you retire? Like, how about you find something that you'll do forever that you enjoy and you might live longer. And also, if you know you're going to do it forever, you don't have to chase every penny and accelerate it all, right? Like make time your friend and maybe you'll get more value out of that experience too. So I am trying to be a little more thoughtful now that I'm older, where it's like, hey, can I find something where like, let's make time my friend. I can do it forever because I love it. And then it doesn't feel like work. So even if I'm putting in those 60, 70, 80 hours, it's awesome. It's my thing. It's like my, you know, I, I would do it anyways, kind of a thing, right? And, and frankly, right now I'm kind of doing it for free. So I got to kind of keep on going. So anyways, I, I do just, uh, it is hard to balance. I don't know if there is such a thing. Um, one of my old mentors gave me a good tip too. Like, I don't know if a startup is a marathon, I don't know if a business is a marathon. I think it's really more a series of sprints. So it's like intensity and then maybe take a break and then intensity and then you take a break. It's not like, you know, you're not jogging. No way. You're going to be, it's going to be intense, intense, intense at times. And you take a break, but then, uh, sorry, going back to your thing. I don't know if there is such a thing for me. Um, I try my best to not mess it up because, you know, with kids and family, those are things that you cannot screw up. So I got to be careful there. 
So do you have any role models or mentors that you mentioned who have influenced your uh, founder, I mean, entrepreneurship career? You know, I, I kind of joke around to you about my DNA a little bit. So my story is, I mentioned I'm a Chinese uh, American immigrant. Uh, my family, the folks that came to America were all in the Chinese restaurant business. So very entrepreneurial. My dad's side who stayed in Taiwan, they were all educators and teachers. So I do think there's an element of that in me where I believe in like, hey, let's get out there and bet on ourselves and do something. And then I also believe in like, I want to share and help others and educate folks, right? Um, to me, that's very exciting. It's just, I love working with young people, to be honest with you too. It's just so inspiring to see like the energy you get from them. It just keeps me going, right? So I do enjoy that. Um, so my family has definitely been a part of that. I've got cousins now that are all doing great in terms of running their own little businesses. Um, so it's exciting to see that. So we've always had that entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so that's been great to just kind of grow up in that world. And not everyone's lucky to have that, right? A lot of people are kind of raised to, um, you know, not have more of like, hey, just go pursue that more typical career path. And I've been lucky enough to see a lot of folks succeed and make a go of it, right? And really, again, I don't want to be corny, but if you work hard, it actually works pretty well in this country. Um, so I'm excited about that. We do have some good infrastructure here where you can take advantage of that. Along the way, I've had some good bosses as well. You know, they've a couple of them become angel investors. So it's been good to just learn from them as well. Uh, so I am lucky to have some some mentors that have been helping me as well. So yeah, but folks, oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> no worries. If you have, if you could have dinner with uh, any influential figure, alive or historical, or uh, who would you choose? Why? Oh. Um, so I like to, I really like hanging out with people that are kind of more weird and bizarre, like folks that have a, a perspective I would never have, you know? So I've been reading more books about um, like utopia and different forms of community, you know, kind of rethinking how we work. And in some of the examples I've been thinking about, it's like people like, you know, Maria Montessori, for example, right? She started the Montessori programs. Like, tell me how you thought about, you know, and I heard from other things I read that out of necessity, she designed her program a certain way, right? There's only so many Montessori teachers and you had to have the kids kind of work in a certain way, like really picking your brain on like, how can you design this curriculum and this pedagogy and this way of disseminating information, right? Where the younger kids, um, they eventually become older, of course, they teach the younger ones. There's kind of like a thing and then they're all doing work, right? I, I like to learn from someone like that, you know, like how did Maria Montessori think about designing her program to scale learning? And a part of it is out of necessity again, right? I really like that. Uh, I want to go back to some of the early, you know, the philosophers back in the day, like the Aristotles and Socrates of the world, because learning back then, um, I know in America now, it's very much designed like the teachers in the front, everyone's sitting in rows. It's like little factories, right? But if you look at how the Greeks did things back in the day and, you know, the Romans and the folks that would learn, everything was in a circle, right? People were in circles, they were talking. And it's like, that's what I want to design. Understand how they thought about like, because you know, the Stoics, they're solving problems that they, they thought about all this stuff. It's like they haven't thought about these problems, right? And they're opposed to this. Like, oh, how did you think about this? Like, you know, Marcus Aurelius or who's some of these folks, right? What did you do to design these things? Oh, cool. So I like Maria Montessori because kind of teaching and how to help people help each other. I like kind of the Stoics and some of the early philosophers because they thought about these big questions with life and the way they design peer-to-peer -peer learning, right? It's, it's not a, hey, here's what you got to do, Barack. Here's a course, go do it. You know, it's like, Hey, we got to go back and forth. There's some dialogue here, you know, like how these things get organized. So those are two, two things that uh, two folks that I'd love to kind of chat with. Um, 
Otherwise than that, you know, you think what else have I been thinking about more recently? It's so funny. I'm, I, I, of course, I like business folks, but I like more thinking about kind of the, the deeper parts now. Like, how do we, people that really think about how humans tick, you know, that, that gets, exci gets exciting to me. Um, let me think, who else is in there? And those are probably the two I've got right now off the top of my head. Perfect. So <laughs> anything else you wanted to share about your journey, a very uh, difficult journey up and downs and or words or wisdom for other founders who may inspire from you? You know, just, um, I feel like, I feel like everyone should just give it a shot. Like, you know, like sometimes we worry too much about the downside. Just don't forget that our reptilian brains are designed in a way to be rather risk averse. So one can probably argue we're actually irrational in terms of our risk aversion, right? Because obviously back in the day, you made a mistake. Uh, you may not be around anymore, you know? So, so just remember that that brain that's kind of back there sometimes, maybe it's not as rational as we think because we are probably a little bit towards more biased towards risk aversion, right? And if all of us, especially in this day and age, uh, if you're lucky enough to listen to this podcast and you're thinking about starting a business, um, it's probably never going to get a situation where you can get, you know, eaten by a lion or anything crazy like that, right? So that applies to also uh, you're not going to become destitute. You're never going to, you know, you probably always get a gig somewhere. So give it a shot. You know, I feel like the world needs more variants and more folks creating some some weird outcomes that are out there, right? Because otherwise we don't advance. So just remember that we probably are biased towards risk aversion. We're probably biased a little too much towards safety. So it's okay to get out there and just kind of bet on yourself. <laughs> Thank you, Arthur, for insightful discussion uh, on your entrepreneurship journey and building the FUD as a platform for side hustlers globally. I appreciate that. And folks, it's, uh, I'm always looking for feedback. So feedback is a gift. So don't worry about hurting my feelings. Tell me how I can do a better job. Play with the app. We're live in iOS and Android. Kick the tires. Tell me, hey, this is great. Do more of this. This stinks. Fix it. Hey, whatever it takes to make something better is all. And no ego involved when, in terms of building. Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> You're welcome, Brock. Thank you again so much for, for uh, doing this podcast. You, it's my pleasure. <laughs>